0: Hi guys. My name's Evan. I know a lot of you, not all of you. Um, if you want to talk to me afterwards, and that's why I'm here more than anything, you know, I get my time in the word as I study to prepare this, but I'm here for the community aspect of it. Just people that want to make God a priority for a little while. Um, and I love connecting with people just like you guys. Uh, so we're, uh, We're finishing up a series that we've been walking through the last six weeks or so called The Audience of One. Um, That's the title that we chose. And the idea is that God has poured his goodness out upon us. That's why we are alive. That's why we can be saved, like our souls can be saved. And it's all due to his grace, his goodness, right? And so out of that, it makes sense that he should be our audience of one. He should be the one that we go to, that we present our lives to, that we follow his instructions. And he's our creator. He's the one that made everything. He's fully sovereign in control of all things. And so out of that, out of him being our audience, we can get the abundant life, the life that we truly desire and we long for. Um, And what we've been doing is looking at what people call the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5 through 7. And it's basically Jesus's rendition of the law. And it falls fully in line with the Mosaic law, like what God gave Moses on Mount Sinai to the people. Um, but instead of going through like bullet points, Jesus more looks like the heart of the law, the, the deeper belief systems that drive the different aspects of the law. And he encourages his, his followers encourages us to line up our lives with those so that way we can have the abundant life, the life that we were created to have, the one that we desire to have. And we've looked at multiple topics, and tonight we get to look at the fun one, money. You know, they use the term wealth, um, and wealth basically in my mind is money and the things that it provides. You know, before we get into me talking about what I want to tell you, I want to ask you a question. What defines you? What defines you? What makes you who you are? At the deeper part of who you are, what defines you? And think about family, your position within that, right? Being a father, a son, a daughter, a mother, it's got to be part of it. And I'm guessing there's quite a few other ones in there. But what about the things you possess, the size of your bank account, your house, your cars, your clothing, your toys? Do they define you? If they were to be removed from you as you walked out of this building, you had none of those things, would that decrease your view of yourself? Would that change your definition of who you are? without those things. You know, there's so much in the Bible about money, um, but what we're going to do is kind of look at the heart behind it. What Jesus is kind of showing us is more the deeper belief systems that go along with money. And man, I would love to talk to you face-to-face about what the Bible says with giving, with tithing, um, with the amount of things that we have or should not have, um, but we're not going to get into those specifics tonight. We're just going to look at the heart behind it all. So we're going to just start by looking at the Bible. So Matthew six twenty four reads, no one can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is Jesus talking here. So we see that Jesus openly declares people's dependency on money. He states that money and its byproducts can become a person's master. The thing that controls their minds and emotions and therefore our actions. He then shows the true power that money has over our minds. You cannot serve God and wealth. Think about that. You're obviously here because you believe most likely that God exists and you want to learn more about him. And Jesus just straight up says, black and white, you cannot serve God and money. It's a major statement. You know, in the the Greek, serve is defined as to be subjected to, owned by, and then a theologian said, to willingly hand over one's rights to self-govern. You know, God has given us free will. And we were created to willingly come under our creator's authority, to submit our lives to his will, his plans for us. But we have the choice of who we will serve. And according to Jesus, money is a major rival of God, which makes sense. Think about how big of a part money plays in our lives. Much of our lives are built off of what money buys. So think about provisions, food, shelter, clothing, transportation, ability to communicate. Those are essentials. And how do we get those in our culture? Money. Money. And think about fun. Think about what you do for leisure, what you do to relax, what you do for fun on vacations, the toys you want to play with, traveling. All of that comes through money. And those are major parts of our lives, right? The essentials and the luxuries are what we love about who we are. Because of this, much of our mental and emotional state is taken up by thinking of money and its byproducts. You know, and I do think I've narrowed it down to two different ways that we think about money. One is worry. When we don't quite have enough, we tend to worry. Not enough for provisions, to pay my bills, right, to build my kid's college fund. It's kind of like a trial of, of poverty. When we don't quite have enough, our mind goes there so often. But then there's what uh, Pastor Steve he used to be a pastor. of He used to refer to as the trial of prosperity, where our minds are continually thinking about what we want to spend our money on. Man, I got excess. I have enough. So therefore, what should I buy? What's going to make me happier? What's going to be better for me? What's going to be better for my kids? And then we think about the temporary joy that we are going to receive from those things we buy. Right? Where our minds go, our lives follow. So as we spend our time focusing on money and the things that it comes from it, the major, it has major influences on how we view life, ourselves, and those around us. We're gonna get back to the Bible, but I just really wanna lay this down. So let me kind of give you some examples of the way this defines our view of ourselves, others, and life in general. So another question. How much of your self-worth comes from the things you own? How much of your self-worth... Your value, the good of who you are, comes from the things you own. It's pretty easy to say not much. Reduce the value of your car from 15000 to $500. Reduce the value of your house from 300000 to an apartment. Do the same with your clothes from whatever um, brand name you want to choose down to some hand-me-downs that you wear every day? Your phone from an iPhone 6, 7, wherever it's at, to a flip phone. Does that kind of change the view of your self-worth? Here's another question. How much of your security comes from the size of your paycheck or the money in your savings? That one should be a little easier to be honest about. Strip down all your excess, all the padding in your bank account down to just the essentials. That kind of mess with your sense of security a bit. How about other people? How much of your view of others is determined by what they own? by the house they have, the car they drive, the clothes they wear? How often do we look at somebody and give them value based on what they own? You know, due to money's role in our lives, it has the ability to shape our minds and then therefore sh- form our lives. It can subtly take control over how we think and play a huge factor in the decisions we make. It can be our master. Whether you're noticeably greedy or not, money can be your master. It makes sense why Jesus spent so much time talking about money. So 16 out of 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, an amazing one out of 10 verses, that's 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So that shows you right there how important it is, how we view money and how we deal with it, because it has major impacts on our lives. So how do we fight against wealth control over our lives? Let's get back to the Bible. This is why we're here. So Matthew six twenty five. therefore, all right, so whenever something starts with therefore, we have to know what is before that, right? Because it's a connector. So you cannot serve God in wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So we've heard that worry often, that word worry often, it's really common, but I decided to look it up. The definition of worry is to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulties or troubles. So allow, that means we have control over worry, right? To dwell, to just stay focused in on difficulties or troubles. So Jesus is telling us, do not allow your mind and emotions to be consumed by the thought of money and what it provides. Whether it is your basic provisions, food, house, bills, Or those things that are not a necessity, but that bring so much to our lives. Clothes, cars, toys, vacation. Whether we are struggling with poverty or prosperity, the solution is to stop worrying. Stop allowing your thoughts to continually bring you back to your perceived difficulties. You know, This is the battle we fight every day. And this is kind of what we've been looking at with the Sermon on the Mount. Finding the abundant life has so much to do with where our mind goes. A battle over our minds, over what we focus on, occurs moment by moment, all day long. And it stems from what we believe. You know, the root of worry about money comes from two different belief systems, in my opinion. First one, when we allow ourselves to worry about money, not having enough, we are operating out of a deeper belief that we are in control. That it is within our power to provide for ourselves. We believe that we are, our own, we are our own providers. When funds run low, we get worried because we are unsure about how we will provide what we need next. The other side of the coin, we believe that more money or more of what money provides will make us happy or happier. That our fulfillment and genuine enjoyment of life comes from the size of our bank accounts or a nicer car, outfit, new phone, etc., etc., etc. When our joy and fulfillment run low from these things, which it does over and over and over, we get worried over our discontentment and scramble to find the next best thing to bring that joy back. When we allow these belief systems to control our thoughts and our emotions, then our selfish and corrupt nature is winning the battle of the day. But that's why Jesus came, to show us how to have control over our anxious minds and win this battle so we can have an abundant life. So how do we fight the battle? This is really what I want to look at. So let's go back to what Jesus is talking about. We're going to do uh, chapter 6 in Matthew 26 through 30. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And go back and read these on your own. I'm just talking about these verses. You should be zoning me out and focusing in on this. But what we see is in order to fight against our tendencies to dwell on money, we must replace our faulty beliefs with truth. You know, Jesus uses two different analogies here. First one is the analogy of the birds. I believe he does this to remind us who our provider is. We do nothing to cause the rain to fall, which it fell a lot, the sun to shine, the crops to grow, the animals to be fattened. We have done nothing to create that which sustains us. That makes sense? You can plant your own garden, yes, but where do the seeds come from? How do the seeds grow? How do they turn into what you actually need? It is completely out of our hands. You know, in verse 27, he goes even deeper. And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? We have done nothing to create this moment or this moment or this moment. To put blood in our veins and thoughts in our minds, we are not the provider of our basic needs. Our creator is always has been, and always will be. Instead of believing that our survival is dependent upon us, we must continually bring our minds back to the foundations of life. Without a creator, we would not exist. Without a creator's constant provision, we would not exist. It has nothing to do with how hard we struggle the basis of it all, the foundation, life exists simply because it is a gift. Today is a gift. Intentionally given to us by God because he desires for us to have it. You know, Steve Ballsley, he was a pastor of a Rimrock. A lot of you probably know, knew him. Um, he died of cancer coming on a year, I think, in uh, this fall. Like two weeks before he died, in one of his sermons, he said, I will not die a day before God decides. Along with our breath, God will also give us our basic needs. He is the one upon whom we should be dependent. You know, he also looked at the an analogy of flowers. Let's go and read it again, verse 28 through 30. And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You know, I could be wrong in this, but I believe that clothing may be referring to the things that extend beyond our essentials, things that bring us enjoyment, nicer cars, toys, vacations, etc. Jesus points us in this analogy to the beauty of nature, that the adornment of the flowers far outweighs that of the richest king in all of Jewish history. The one who provides for our basic needs also provides for our luxury. God is not a grim-faced controller of the universe that wants us to just barely survive. Rather, he is our Father who wants us to have enjoyment and find pleasure in life. 1 Timothy six seventeen puts this really nicely. As for those who in this present age are rich... I would say that's us. Command them not to be haughty, or to be, or to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What a beautiful definition of our provider, who provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. You know, both of these analogies—the birds and the flowers—point us to who our true provider is. Apart from God, we have nothing and a God is a God who continually provides us with everything we need even lavishly giving us luxury by replacing our faulty beliefs with what is true we fight against the worry that can consume our minds and leave us emotionally wrecked i've been there i understand the control of money the darkness of this world seeks to strip us of our trust in god and leave us dependent on our own weakness But unchanging truth will keep us securely fastened to the giver of life. You know, let me give you an example. There's so many examples when it comes to money, right? Money is something we deal with every single day. Um, And I know you guys have them too. But one that I kind of dealt with um, earlier this summer, my wife and I, we own a lodging business. We own 10 cabins just on the backside of Mount Rushmore. Um, And so that's where we get a lot of our livelihood, right? All of our money comes from this business. Um, and we can be extremely busy, uh, June through August, right? That's why that's kind of what we, that's when we harvest. Um, and employees are essential. And I had an employee say that he was going to quit end of June, right? Which is just, a full A-bomb going off in my life due to the amount of work that I have to put into it and the amount of reliance I had on him. I even asked him like half a dozen times before I hired him, will you stay through October? And he said yes each time. And so he informed me that he was thinking about pulling away and he ended up doing it. And of course, my mind was just wrecked with worry, thinking about how am I going to do this on my own? I'm building a cabin. I'm trying to raise a family. I'm teaching down here. It just like overwhelmed me. How can I possibly keep going on? But then the spirit asked me, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Do you trust this employee or do you trust your creator? And as I started bringing my mind back, God, I trust you, not my employee. I trust you, not Craigslist. I trust you, not my ability to find somebody new. And this sense of peace just overwhelmed me. Right, that's that battle that we fight when money comes in. It's in that moment, who do I choose to trust? Because your emotions will be fully dependent on where your mind goes. He quit on Thursday, Craigslist out on Friday, new employee on Monday. And she's way better than he was. It's just incredible. So not only did he provide for my emotions in that moment, but he provided for my resources to allow me to continue to do what I need to do. And when we face concerns over money, it's it's our choice who we depend on as our provider. I understand we still need to work for our provisions, and we need to think through ways to solve financial issues. Right? it 's not like we 're supposed to sit back like monks and just wait for God to give us what we want. He created us with minds and abilities for a reason. However, the heart of the issue is where we place our ultimate trust. who is your provider? You know I think there's one more truth that Jesus wanted us to get out of this so one deeper belief system Let's finish up this this section verses thirty one through thirty three Therefore, again, therefore, that means because God is our provider, because he gives us everything we need, therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I love that verse. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So just a quick summary of what Jesus said. Because of who our provider is, do not allow your minds to dwell on the difficulties that money can provide. Instead, strive first for the kingdom of God. So let's break down what that means. Strive first for the kingdom of God. Uh, Define strive as make great efforts to achieve or obtain something. Struggle or fight vigorously. So it's not a passive verb by any means. To strive is to put all of your efforts and all of your strength into doing this. You know, the kingdom of God, it's a big topic. But I think it means that we see God as our king, the one in charge of our world, and that we should seek to serve him with our lives. So instead of serving money by constantly dwelling on it, it doesn't matter if you're out there buying things, Serving money often comes through our thoughts. Instead of serving money by constantly dwelling on it, we are created to make great efforts to better know God and to pursue what he has called us to do. So I think this is a deeper belief system. Our primary purpose in life is to know God and live according to his purpose, period. The greatest commandment, love God. The first four commandments, all focusing on God. The whole Bible just points, know God, seek him, submit your life to him. This is the main reason we are created, and this is why we are continually given life in this moment. There's a lot of other things, but primarily so you can know God more and be obedient to what he's calling you to do. Not to serve wealth. Not to allow your worry over wealth or your thoughts over what is next to take control of your mind, but rather willingly submit yourself to your Creator. You know, when money, when issues with money arise, whether it's poverty or prosperity, we must continually remind ourselves that we were created to know God and to follow His will. Period. Even when things get hard, which they will, they do. Right? I'm sure they already have. We are to strive to know God and be obedient to his guidance. You know, let me give you one more example. For some reason, examples are what I always remember out of sermons, so just to kind of give you, give you something. I hate it to be about myself, but so again, back to my property, uh, it functions on two wells and apparently water is a pretty important piece of life. Two weeks ago, both wells went dry. So we're talking everything that I wanted to offer these people was coming out in dribbles. And you imagine what that did to my mind. You know. And I knew the experts I could get in there. It took like a week and a half to get it back. And I was chatting with all my customers and doing everything I could, giving some free nights here and there. But for me not to strive to fix that, was so difficult. That's like all I wanted to do. Wake up at six in the morning, go out and check the well pressure, check these very things, call multiple times over and over the people that are supposed to be there, going around and chat with people. I decompress with my wife about what the, this is doing to my life and my mental state. But what this says is that I'm to strive to know God and to trust him. Instead of getting up at six in the morning to go check the wells, I should have been taking a half an hour to walk with the, to walk through the woods, surrendering my property to God, trusting that He will be in control because He is my provider. Like All the things I did allowed it to come back in place, but if I did not want to experience the anxiety and the worry that I went through, all I had to do was strive to know God and to trust in Him more. You know, what's amazing is that as we do this, as we strive to know him well, he will continue to meet our needs, both essential and luxurious. And he will continue to do this for as long as they need to be met. You know, one last verse, uh, same passage, but it's in Luke, Luke 12, 32. At the end of what we, what we just read, Jesus said, do not be afraid, little flock for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is such a beautiful verse to meditate upon. Little flock, who we are, a position in the universe, and then your Father, who God is to us, and his good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to pour out his goodness upon us. The things that he has in store for us, he will continue to pour out upon us because that is his heart towards his creation. You know, as they come up, let's just take a moment and still our minds. It's kind of just take a moment and get silent. God, I ask that you would just plant a thought in each of our minds right now to that we can walk away just meditating on something that hits home, something that just kind of shakes us what you want us to learn out of this experience, God. You are a provider. You are the one that gave us life today and tomorrow if you want it. And you are the one that will provide for every need we have. Please give us a thought that makes it more real. Amen.